When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Red 7, Red 7, Red 7, Don! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. Hot route! I don't. What is hot route? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Billy Bob! This is it! The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame-ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide-open tailback. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch. Nom, 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 nom. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get you the ball. Are oh, you going to get me the ball? Oh, I'm going to get you the ball. Oh, 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 I hope he doesn't kill somebody. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the difference between winning and losing. I got a whole lot of money, money, money for me. Money, Bottle money, key popping that water up there, jacking. Yeah, it's a party, it's a party, it's a party. Welcome into 11 personnel, Nick Roush and Adam Luckett. Uh, doing a little something different today. We recorded a podcast this morning, and the news broke. Today, KSR warned that Alabama transfer Javon Baker will not be taking his talents to Lexington this fall the former top 200 recruit checked a lot of those early boxes but uh, as camp drew near uh, Kentucky decided the risk not worth the reward I, still not exactly sure why uh, but we do know that the what uh, Kentucky was well like it from what I can gather I it, it, it sounds like there was a little game of risk-reward here. Um, and considering Dane Key's development, uh, it, it wasn't worth it. Uh, do you see this hemorrhaging Kentucky's wide receiver room this fall? It puts a lot of pressure on a true freshman, maybe two true freshmen, with Dane Key's de- – that surprising development in the spring and then obviously Barry and Brown coming in in the summer. Um, but when Kentucky added Barry and Brown, Nick, or not, excuse me, Barry and Brown, uh, Javon Baker, it was a true ex receiver who fit a prototype that Kentucky just simply hadn't had. Um, we thought Dan Key and specifically Chris Lewis could maybe develop into that. 
Um, the latter um, kind of left you wanting more, I guess, or I would say during the mm-hmm. spring. So from that aspect, it, it, Tavian Robinson is going to be your wide receiver one for the offense. Still have him. Javon Baker, there was, there was some unknowns with him, but the ceiling was really high and you could see, like you could forecast him being a really good number two outside guy who could be a, really good threat for you on third downs and in other situations. And that that's off the table. So from a ceiling aspect, I mean, if it may be, I think it lowers, probably lowers your ceiling as an offense. Still think there's you should, a lot to be happy about in the wide receiver room. Um, but it's things, because I think it was pretty clear, Nick, early on that the offense realized they needed a, an X receiver. They went and tried to get Taj Harris that fell apart, went and tried to get uh, Javon Baker, and that fell apart. So that's things. Obviously, the Danke development is really, really promising. Um, but I do I do think it stings. I don't think there's any getting around. Like, it's not just like, oh, yeah. they're fine. It, it, it's, yeah. it's loss stinks. Yeah. There, there's, there's no way to spin uh, not getting a former – I think he was the number 59 overall player, uh, according to one site in the 2020 class. You want that athleticism on the outside, especially from a guy who's a little bit older, who's experienced SEC football. Uh, so it stings. There's no doubt about it. But uh, it's it does not take away the fact that Kentucky has made major upgrades to its wide receiver room ahead of the 2022 season. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to get excited about in that room. Um, it's got speed that it really hasn't had in the modern era, it seems like, coming in. Then you add Tavion Robinson, who I think has got a chance to be really good this year. I mean, there's some other pieces that you hope maybe take a step forward this year. Um, but it, more, it puts more pressure on those other pieces, right, to take a step forward without without him in the lineup. The, the one caveat I can make, um, in addition to having the new, the freshman come in and having a guy like Key, and like you, you, you have other big wide receiver targets, but if you well, needed – if Isaiah you, Cummings can play X receiver. Exactly, and that was my point. If you need to throw a jump ball at the nine-yard line, you have Isaiah Cummings, you have Keaton Upshaw, you have some dudes who can go up and make those plays. They're different kind of athletes than what Javon Breaker was bringing to the table. But you you still have those parts. So, uh, it, you know, it, th- there's ways to work around it. I, I think what you look for next is, is there a next? Does Kentucky go out and, and get – Somebody else, because they, they have some scholarships to play with. There, there was quite a few guys who departed after the season. Um, but I, I think in this instance, if I'm to – this is me kind of taking a few things I've heard and kind of extrapolating. You can deal with a headache or two, but it, too many can can really sink a team. Um, and I, I, I think they're like, ah, it's not worth it for us. Um if you're going to add more pieces to the puzzle in June and you really like the football team that you have, you have to be really careful about fit. You don't want to add somebody that's going to be a turd in the punch bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Nick Saban um, is quoted here recently um, of saying, like, they had some guys last year on the team that were kind of energy zappers, and this year's team is – it's easy. It's ha- better to be, it's been better to be around. They're fun to coach. Mm-hmm. So, and then you should look at Alabama. They had a lot of pass catchers to leave the program. So, I mean, we don't know, but that's just, 
there's some there might that might be those some smoke. two things those two things could be adding up. Right. Um, but like on the field though, he was I mean, there was a lot to get excited about. I thought that was a huge addition. Um, and him plus Robinson, you could really see like Kentucky's passing game taking off potentially this season. Yeah. Um, and half of that is gone now. So that's that's disappointing. But Nick, looking at wide receiver, it's just a young room, man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a young room. Chauncey Magwood, second year sophomore. Dekel Kratis, redshirt freshman. Chris Lewis, redshirt freshman. Barry and Brown, true freshman. Dan Key, true freshman. Jordan Anthony, true freshman. Brandon White, true freshman. At seven of the ten. Yeah. It's just a young, you know, it's a young room for a team that's going to be pretty old at most spots. The uh, Very young. It, the one person we haven't mentioned uh, who proved that he can be solid uh, down the stretch, made a couple nice catches in that Georgia game. Uh, and the other ones are escaping me. But Demarcus Harris, I, I think, can yeah, be I, a solid vet, a solid veteran presence in that room. Um, and He can play multiple spots. His importance is magnified here. Um, yeah. It's a big opportunity for him. Redshirt Jr. has had some moments here or there. Big opportunity uh, for Demarcus Harris. He's played a lot of football a lot these last two seasons, um, so he's going to get a lot of chances here. Tight end position mm-hmm. just became more important, right? They got, I would say, four guys they feel really good about this year. With Josh Caddis likely getting a redshirt year, Keaton Upshaw's back, Brendan Bates, Cummings, like we said, and then Jordan Dingle is. Yeah, don't say be, I think people should be really excited about. It. I think he's got a bright future. So. They still got options and weapons, and so so we'll see. But it just – There's no doubt it stings, though. It you stings. Just, yeah, I, yeah. I still think, like, if Levis is really good, it's going to be fine. But it takes a takes a weapon away from that passing game. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's an unexpected hiccup here, I think, in, in the offseason as summer approaches. I mean, Nick, like, we're a week away from players reporting back starting the summer workouts. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really to me when, when this like the season really you have the off season stuff after the year and then spring practice, winter workouts, but then the summer workouts. That's when you start throwing. Um, that's when all the true freshmen arrive. So that's when you have your full team together, and that's really kind of the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they start those throwing workouts, you would you, the assumption was Baker was going to come in and build a rapport. Now that's out of the question. Now. Now it's really important to get Barry and Brown. I think his importance, like getting him involved in the offense and getting him the ball um, and structuring touches for him, I think is going to be really important. They're going to need him to produce. Yeah. The um, the one thing that uh, – it's not like what you envision in an X is more of the kind of Z receiver who lines up off the line of scrimmage. But some of those, those track kids who can – you know, run 10 second, 100 meter dashes. Like, yeah, you don't got to be a good route runner to to do a go route. And you know? <laughs> variance, we're lo- like, obviously, short speed is good. The 100 meter shows that, but the long speed, like his 200 meter time was really good. Yeah. So, like, when we saw Wondell Robinson get caught, Barry and Brown, when he gets in, he is not getting caught. He's going to be gone if he gets in the open field. And so it's just scheming up how can we get him there, you know, kind of thing. Quietly, Nick, a guy who could have a big say in this, Dekel Crowdis. Yeah. If he can become vertical stretch guy that you're safety on the post 
He has to be aware of at all times. I let this guy get behind me. He could be the big X factor here. If he can become that, it opens up so many doors, I think, for the offense. Um, in a lot of ways, I think he may be the most important guy um, in that room. He was a guy, Nick, they, he was making the major noise last camp, and then he got injured. And in the spring, we ne- I mean, he was still wearing that brace. Um, but he's supposed to be – that knee's supposed to be ready to go here. Um, so, for him getting – like we talked about, the throwing sessions over the summer, being involved in those, and then what can he do? I think – Quietly, he's a guy not people. A lot of people are talking about, but he could have a huge, huge say on this offense. It's obviously a sting losing Javon Baker, but Cats still have plenty of weapons in the wide receiver room. Um, but hey, we got plenty more to talk about. Let's get out of here. Get to the rest of the show. Welcome in, everybody, to Eleven Personnel. I am a not so very happy Nick Rouse, joined today by Adam Luckett. Um, Nick, you need a beer, my man. God, you, if if Spectrum were a man, I'd punch him in the mouth. <laughs> my gosh, just hard to do a Zoom podcast when you don't have any internet. But hey, shout out, shout out, JT. We're figuring it out. We're figuring it out. We're moving along through the off season. It's the it's a little Memorial Day edition, so hopefully you're listening to this while you're on your way to the lake, vacation, whatever it may be. Look at how are you celebrating this weekend. Uh, well, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Wife's going out of town. Oh, uh, so that might that probably means at least one rooster's night. Um, we'll see. Other than that, I don't really have no plans really. Other All right, boys not easy. out. Boys not out. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. No, no plans are often the best plans. That is that is true. That's what I did Sunday, and look it. I, I want to pretend, give you the opportunity to take a victory lap. Uh, if anybody ever picked a PGA, but I mean, really, you're Mito, uh, an 18th hole away from sounding like the smartest person alive. Yeah, it was. But that's the thing about golf gambling too. Um, really, I had Zalatoris to win there, and it's a playoff hole away. Mm-hmm. See. So, so you really had you had to hedge a little bit. Obviously, the big money didn't hit, but we were, we were the metrics were were right on, and we we picked the right guys last week. Um, and you see why I think golf gambling can be very very fun if you if you can kind of read in between the lines a little bit. So yeah, that was a fun fun weekend, and really it was kind of a boring major there until Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we got some low scores Thursday Friday, but Saturday was just um. It was just a mess out there, bad weather. And then Sunday, it just – Thomas turns it on there in the back nine, and then you had a bunch of um, – I saw somebody on Twitter call it the Corn Fairy All-Stars just kind of fell apart <laughs> um, because it's guys who've never really – outside of Zalatoris, who've never even been close to that level yet in right. their careers. Um, and so they just kind of crumbled. And Thomas – if you follow Thomas's careers, he's won all his big events like that, Nick. First PGA Championship came storming back on a Sunday – championship was very similar to that lee westwood had a big lead he falls apart on the back nine um there at a uh, tpc sawgrass and thomas just catches a heater wins that tournament um, and then this this pj championship followed a similar um kind of blueprint i mean the shots he hit on 18 there in regulation to close the 72 holes were just ridiculous um mm-hmm. it kind of sucked he missed that putt um because that's that that 18 was a hard hard hole and he went at it and hit a great drive and then hit a great approach shot 
I mean, then he, he was nails in the playoff. Um, so that was, that was a pretty gutsy performance, but it fits kind of his pedigree. That's, that's how he wins these tournaments. And then Zalatoris just, he's, He's the bridesmaid. He's the bridesmaid, but never the bride right now. Seriously. Close at the master. Master is close here. Um, you look at kind of his numbers and majors, they're really, really good. It just, he's, he's going to break through. I think he's got yeah, seven. You would, you he's top think, ten, is it top ten in every major appearance or just seven? He withdrew from the U.S. Open last year, didn't make the cut. It was one yeah. of that. But the U.S. Open before that, he was top ten. Yeah. So, I mean, he's – or maybe it was the British Open he withdrew from, but he's—I mean—he's contending at these big boy events. It's kind of got a Louis Oosthuizen feel, where he's yeah. there every year, every week, every year when the majors roll around. But it's like something happens on Sunday where he just uh-huh. can't get that final final oomph to get a win. That uh, I, I like that him, him being the heir apparent to Louis Oosthuizen is perfect because he's got the funny name, looks kind of funny. I mean, and also. He smacks the hell out of a golf ball yeah, for being so skinny. Striker. Dude has a 28 waist, man. I, it was the, I was wearing those pants in middle school, you know, mm-hmm. and he's out there just smashing a golf ball 300 and God knows how many well, yards. And I mean, that guy he was playing with, Cameron Young, they played a Wake Forest together, and that guy hits the piss out of it off the team. Yeah. I, mean, I had driving uh, it like a 320, and he's not very big. You, you mentioned golf gambling being fun. I had Young, Zalatoris, and Mito, which – I mean, that should win you most of those games, right? Well, right. Uh, the guy who's – some of my guys farther down weren't – like DJ sucked. Yeah, you got to get – you got to have guys – in fantasy golf, you got to make cuts and you need a couple guys contend. If you can do that, you're usually yeah. going to be a pretty good spot. And I, I thought I could overcome that until J- JT got hot and the leader had Justin Thomas and that kind of that's, – that, that set me back, him and Abe answer. Having strong finishes kind of set me back, but still gotten the money thanks to Luckett's pick. So if y'all aren't paying attention to the Anna Luckett's, you should be. Um, my picks, yeah, you know, they're, they're spot on here and there. I also, if I give out horse racing picks like two days before, I'm going to change my mind for the race. I ended up picking the early voting horse that won and didn't run in the Derby because I went with my uh, head instead of my heart, and it turned out to be a pretty profitable one. So we, we made a little money last week in Luckett. Um, yeah, fun time. I, I don't think we can make money playing betting SEC baseball, but it's fun. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching the Batcats first win. Uh, it's just a matter of will they play any games. By the time we record uh, 11 personnel next week, like it, will the SEC tournament be concluded? <laughs> I, man, I was trying to run the numbers through my brain because they're probably – they'll get at least two games in the day. Um, but one, at least one game's getting pushed back. Kentucky might be the late game tonight. Yeah, end at like um, 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah, so, so right. yeah, like, Kentucky Bay's another, back cats after dark. Here's another um, thing, Lucky. Why don't they just start playing the games at 7 a.m. in the morning? It feels like they're wasting t- time Yeah, they're gonna playing have to, the a.m. I think if they can get three in today, they could be fine. And then semi, like, they can do semi, uh, they could do doubleheader on Saturday when you get into the, the elimination games and hit it. And then the last two could be the semifinals at night. And then you could play the championship there on Sunday as is. And you got the Monday as a squeeze, as a, you know, an extra day right, right, because of the right. holiday. But, they really need two fields, Nick, like to play this tournament. Um, I thought they had two fields. I thought that was the whole point of going to Hoover was because there was multiple fields. I just now learned today that there's only one field there. What's the whole point? Yeah. How is there not a place in the South that has two decent ballparks in the same town? 
I'll be interested to see the strategy for when Texas and Oklahoma come. Um, because the set of the tournament's kind of weird. Like, you got the play-in round. You, well, you have two teams that don't make it. You, Twelve teams make it. Then you have the play-in round. So, four teams are one and done. And then you have a two-team, eight or a two-pod, eight-team format that's kind of like your typical regionals format where it's double elimination. Mm-hmm. But then it's not double elimination. Then in the semis, it goes to single elimination. In a championship single elimination, they just go back and forth. It's kind of a weird setup. And I would think that you would want the semis and championship to be more of a, sing- a double elimination instead of – you know what I mean? Like, typically, you get this – like, in the College World Series, it's best of three once you get to the finals. You know what I mean? Right. Like, tip- so, I, I don't know. It – Trying Even to format the college, this, it makes it silly. Well, the College World Series, I mean, it takes forever to play that. I mean, it's 10, 11 days to get that tournament done. So, it, I mean, in trying to squeeze us in, into a small frame, it's not, I don't, I don't think. Not ideal. Yeah. Easy logistics. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see how they kind of maneuver this, if they have to make any um, mm-hmm. tinker with it all. It could help Kentucky, though, right? Because if it's – you're an underdog single elimination is better than double it's a one game scenario um because it you know that it lessens it if the better teams if you give a better team more chances they're going to end up winning but one one game scenario kentucky hasn't faced lsu this year they got they beat tennessee two out of three um so so we'll see uh yeah so this big it's big game against lsu lsu is the four seed so that's the one you wanted to draw first out of that so they got a night they got a chance here i think to kind of make some noise speaking of scheduling formats we have i mean this is going to be the talk of the offseason i love it um but we actually did get some new news on the scheduling formats the ones that are potentially in play when the coaches that they're going to be in destin next week correct with saint and all it starts tuesday day after memorial day is when the meetings start the 31st um and that's where they'll be pitching the Various scheduling formats. Uh, we we now have more clarity. It's basically uh, here's how we're going to do it if we stick with eight. Here's how we're going to do it if we go to nine. Um, if they keep the eight games SEC schedule where you can beat up on an FCS team once a year, it'll be a one seven deal where you have one rival. You rotate. Every two years, you do home and homes with seven teams, and then the next two years, you do home and homes with the other seven teams in the SEC. Keep keep four, keep uh, the home games even, four and four, home and yeah. road. Uh, and then the other format, is, if they go to nine, is the three six mafia, <laughs> which we've uh, we've talked about quite a bit here. Who would you want in the pod, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but like it, I think the Ross Dellinger. Uh, his article, I think, had the most enlightening part to date. The, the one that wasn't just somebody throwing darts at a board. He actually had some some information as to how they would determine who actually would be where in these pods, separating the haves versus the, the have-nots. Yeah, that was the the biggest, I think, point of that that call or that column that Ross wrote. Also. Nick, Texas and Oklahoma, they're they're not even involved in this decision-making process. These are just the 14 teams in the league right now. And I think there's a big wedge between ha- half of the league. Like, we've heard Mark Stoops talk about how against 
it he is. You could go back last year to media days. He gets asked about it. 2013. And he answered pretty bluntly that I don't want like no. I don't you want try that. playing nine SEC games. And then you ask Nick Saban, who's been wanting it for a long time. So I think you've got or you've got some of the big schools will want it and some of the smaller schools won't. Um, but I also think we don't need to tease ourselves here. It's going to nine game schedule because if you do one seven, you're going to miss key robbery games every year. Um, and I think that's just the way the sport is trending to, to play more conference games. It's going to help out with your season tickets. It's going to help revenue, all of that. So I think they're probably going to throw them a bone like Dellinger said, which, which was interesting. Like it would be, you're splitting half. So it's really like divisions, but it's not divisions. So you got two pods uh, of teams you're going to play two from your pool and one from the other pool. So essentially the big boys are going to play two of their like-minded schools. Um, and then Kentucky is going to play two of their like-minded schools. And so that, from that aspect, I think that could balance it out. And then I think you would see Nick, the permanent power five, they're, they're required to play a permanent power five out of conference. I think they would throw that out. Now game, they would say, you just, you can do whatever you want. And I think the Kentucky-Louisville series is probably in when that happens. That's just my opinion. But I See, just – All right. And I I tried to do – so I tried to be a big J journalist and do like a formal open records request. Don't think that worked. Tried. Haven't heard back. Who knows? It might take sometimes a Sometimes they take the, – uh, sometimes that – might take time. a while. But I believe that in that contract there's an out if scheduling – format changes a la like COVID, and then they had the different scheduling restrictions um but the series right now is underway till 2030 the only reason why like it would be dumb to end that right now as of this moment it would give you an, an out for the future but it's a man it's such an easy mm-hmm. kind of and also it's it's smelling like nick there's not the schedule's not going to change until 2024. So I think you've got two more years of the 611 format that we have right now in place. Mm-hmm. And then 2024 is probably when Texas, Oklahoma comes over. That's when the three six will take over. So you have some time to figure all that out. But it does give you it does give you an out for the governor's cup. And I know that that feels like I feel like Andy Sweeney is going to like screams about this once every two or three years about is Kentucky scared to in the guy or they you know like it feels like a very fun radio thing uh, to get all fired up over the summer, but just from a PR move, you've got the biggest upper hand that you've ever had in that series right now, and you really are using it as a recruiting tool as well. So like. It's How much versus, value does it hold it's, you? It's risk versus reward here. So you have to, you know, you have to answer some tough questions here. You have to answer: Is playing an extra game for us is it worth it, or will we better? Is our better winning strategy long term is to schedule three very winnable games in a non-conference and then take our swings? Because you also have to remember, Nick. Here, you're going to have to play. There's years where you're going to have to play five SEC road games. And you don't want that to coincide with going. To yeah, Louisville so you're gonna have well. to you have to figure that out. I, uh, it's just I think it's just. What, what I, I, I think right they're now? gonna I think they're gonna back out of it. That's just my personal opinion. It it was not the first time we haven't seen Kentucky and Louisville play. It's not like this is a hundred year rivalry. 
Right, right. And you know what I would argue back right now, like it is that Louisville is a winnable game. It's as the margin of victory is the same yeah. as playing a max school. And so now, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, but that what, could that could that could change. You know, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is a power five program over time. Um, especially if that Adidas money keeps coming in for the cards, they'll be they'll be just fine before too long. But well, I, I, uh, that's also if you dig into some of this college stuff, Nick. The Big Ten's about to sign a new TV contract. Yep. They're going about to make a lot of money. Um, the SEC's got the thing with ESPN. Pac-12 has got it, their contract coming up. And with USC kind of being on the rise here with Lincoln Riley, they're expected to sign a pretty good deal. Meanwhile, the ACC is locked in long-term with a deal with ESPN, and it is not a very good deal for the ACC. And the Big 12's in trouble, obviously, with Texas Oklahoma leaving. There's thoughts that that league could, from a cash standpoint, that they could be in trouble just because of what the other three power leagues are going to, are going to collect. And I mean, we've already seen the SEC and big 10 distance themselves. It, be, it could become even bigger over this next decade when these new deals start ramping up. So that's something to watch out for too. And you've, and they're, you know, that then ACC would have to worry if that happens, like Clemson's going to be like, why are we doing this? Let's get out of here. And then what happens if the Big Ten's like, well, we need to match the number of teams SEC has. So we need two more teams. Hmm. And then Texas is gone now, right? So that's that's out of the picture. Right. Oklahoma's gone. That's out of the picture. So you're kind of looking at, you know, Clemson would be it, you know, if you were the Big Ten and you needed another big boy at the table. So just something to chew on there and think yeah. about. And we'll, we'll chomp on it. Um, the sport is uh, – for better or worse, I, I, I feel hyperbolic saying it, but it's not going to look the same five, ten years from now. So, just, yeah, I mean, like, yes, yeah, everything, <laughs> yes. Um, it's going to be different. Into, just, but you know what, though? Every ten almost. years of our life, though, it has changed. It when changed. we were born, the national champion was declared by an AP poll vote, and we would have split national champions. We got the BCS. That was what ninety-seven to ten or something like that. So every new decade has brought us something different in college football. This next one is going to be different. Uh, I, I would just say the good thing is Stoops has put Kentucky in a much better position than it was entering this last go around. Long term, Kentucky's got like they're in the right conference, right? So that's all that really matters. They're yeah. going to be fine long term, whatever the future of college football is. The SEC is going to eat first. So they're they're going to be fine, uh, but but we're entering the land of unknown. So we got to you know ride this wave. But Kentucky's in the best spot they've ever been. If you're going to enter a land of unknown, this is a spot you would want to be in. And if you looked at the entirety of Kentucky football history, this is a lot better than they've been in the past. But Nick, yeah. let's jump into like these scenarios right quick. Okay. Uh, so I ran down. I did the three six. I ran this down published this on Tuesday night. Check it out if you haven't seen it already. So pretty much on this, I think I got to keep most big rivalries. Um, and keep in mind, I, I did the two in each pod. So two from Kentucky plays, two from their eight, and then one of the, the bigger, you know, brand name schools. So like Alabama, you got them Auburn, LSU, Tennessee are their permanent opponents. Those are like their three big games every year. Um, so they get to keep, keep those. Texas, A&M, you know, they get Texas and they get to play LSU. So, like, their two biggest games right now, they can still get to play. 
Texas comes in here. They get Oklahoma, Texas A&M back on the schedule. They get Arkansas to kind of revive that robbery. And so you go, you go through this list, and there's a lot of good. Now, for Kentucky's three, when you go over to the opposite pool, there's no real clear name here, Nick, uh, but Florida just seems like the obvious one. Yeah. Florida, I, I'm sure you had their rivals as Georgia. Um, and well, they're, they, they see, they were tricky. Okay, okay, here. So, you would think Georgia's obvious cocktail party, right? Yeah, yeah, that one's obvious. But then what, Tennessee? It's Yeah, Tennessee is – but Tennessee's not in that pool, right? Um, right? And then Tennessee has to play Alabama from that pool. Oh, yeah. So, that, that takes away the Florida game. So, you're going to lose that, but ha- – but that game hasn't – like the Kentucky-Tennessee games in the last decade have been more important than Tennessee-Florida games. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. This is in 1997 with Spurrier and Fulmer on the sidelines. So, and you want to keep you, – you try to keep geography in mind with this. So, this allows Tennessee and Kentucky play on um, the, the border rivalry. Keep that going. Nick, these teams have been playing for – if you take out – both teams stopped football for World War II, I believe, in 1943. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they've played every year since, like, 1919. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a long-running series. And then Kentucky, the last one, like, it was hard to find. Um, I I plugged them with Mississippi State because Mississippi State's were hard to find, too. Um, that's been a very even series. I think it's Mississippi State 24-23 right now. The last um, six. Teams are three and three in the last six. Yeah, it's all been home team serves. You know? Yeah, so – and it's usually – both those teams are pretty – I mean, it's a pretty even game more times than not. They had the run, one run with Dan Mullen, which kind of coincided with a pretty low point in Kentucky football. Yeah. Um, there at the end after Brooks left. Um, so they gobbled up some victories there. But since Stoops has turned it around, it's, it's been a pretty um, seesaw series here. So, I mean, obviously, like, I think people are like, they wanted Missouri or Vanderbilt. For Vandy, like, they have to play Tennessee, right? And then Ole Miss is kind of a bigger game, I would say, than Kentucky. Vanderbilt um, there's a little bit more of a rivalry there between Vanderbilt and Ole Miss I think they've been playing longer um, even though Kentucky and Vandy have been playing a long time so I just I picked that one over over Kentucky Vanderbilt and then Ole Miss um, you know obviously they had Mississippi State give them LSU that's a big rivalry game and just gave them Vanderbilt there so I think these are pretty even when you take a look at them um, but the, no system is perfect here Nick no um, and so you're going to have to – some people's going to be – some folks are going to be unhappy about their draw. For Kentucky, I think it's manageable. This Florida, Mississippi State, Tennessee, if you get that, you know, Mississippi State and Tennessee, those are pretty much 50-50 battles right now. But those schools aren't recruiting at a level above you. Uh, at least we haven't – Tennessee is now with the NIL game, but we'll see how that plays out long term. But then Florida's – they've got the biggest variance in that other window of of great to bad. Their recruiting has not really reached the levels of these other power programs. So if that doesn't happen under Napier, they're going to be kind of in that, that good area for Kentucky where, you know, they're going to probably beat you more times than you want, but you're going to be able to get enough wins to make that a salvageable kind of opponent yearly. So it's not the worst here for Kentucky, but like we said, it's the unknown. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, and uh, the one that um, – because there is uh, 
so many possibilities, even though you whittled it down well. Um, you know, Mitch Barnhart could use some of his political capital to sub one team out for another. You know, like Phil Fulmer is trying to get Tennessee to not play Alabama or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, the, the politicking involved in all yeah. of this, there's well, a lot more up in the air. The 1-7 is a little bit more clear because your top rivalry is pretty obvious. Yeah. Until you get to the bottom four, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. Well, I think Tennessee Vanderbilt is kind of an automatic here because it's in-state, right? So you got to include every in-state rivalry except from the obvious big ones. But do so you? that's that. Well, Oklahoma Texas is going to get the edge over Texas A and M because that's just a bigger game. Red but then, but LSU Texas A and M is a natural rivalry with the Jimbo. I mean, they, those fan bases already hate each other, mm-hmm. and they only A and M's only been in the league for right at a decade now. So that that was easy, and then Arkansas Missouri have a trophy game already. Already, yeah. And so that was pretty. And then in Kentucky and South Carolina is kind of a, I would say, bubbling rivalry. Um, with the especially if Beamer gets it kind of going there, that could be just a huge teams uh, yearly. And we've seen swings in that rivalry where South Carolina won all those games in a row with Spurrier. It was thirteen out of fourteen, and now Kentucky's won seven of the last eight. And so you've seen like huge swings in that rivalry game. And then like I think Kentucky fans, I think relish this recent dominance over South Carolina. We really do. We, we freaking love it. On social media, like, I don't know about you, Nick. Sometimes the biggest st- fights I get on social media is when I've ever tweeted about South Carolina football. We get Kentucky fans jumping in, and then oh, South yeah. Carolina fans getting chesty. Oh. Then, having gone to South Carolina twice for two of these games, it is a very much confusion and befuddlement when they lose to Kentucky. Like they cannot. It. How do we? How do we let this happen? <laughs> how the, how can we not it. be Kentucky? Um, and so, like, it's that back and forth. I think seesaw, and with that, I think the game's going to get the game more stakes. Um, and I think the, it's getting to a point where these two. I think the school, the plays, the teams in general. I don't think really like each other. Um, I think Kentucky very much likes that they they beat South Carolina almost on a yearly basis Yeah, in South Carolina. They, you know, they, they think it's a little bit embarrassing. So I think there's a feisty little rivalry building there. So that, when I had to make it, that, that seemed like one that made sense. Kentucky, South Carolina as a permanent opponent. You may disagree. You can weigh in. You can tweet at us. He's at Adam Lucky KSR. I'm at Roush KSR and you can sit tight. We'll be right back after this. Scheduling scenarios, we still have time for, to let that shake out. Um, when they return from Destin, Kentucky's going to be hosting quite a few prospects uh, coming in. I mean, like we were worried about the amount of official visitors, and then there's guys popping up on my radar that I didn't previously know, like the Kendrick Gilbert kid from uh, Cathedral that's going to be taking – uh, an official visit for our defensive lineman here in June. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw there's another cornerback, really talented four-star kid that's going to be on the way. So June's going to be a pretty busy, busy month for the Cats. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's setting up nicely. I think 
when you look back at last year's class, Kentucky, the guys they hosted this summer, only a couple of them ended up being commits. Danky, Tyrese Fearby were the two that jumped off, and then I'd have to dig in a little bit about who else it was. Um, but really, most of their damage came in the, in the fall, Nick, with those visits. Um, now, looking back, they hosted Emil Wagner, Drew Bobo, um, Daughtry Richardson, Grayson Morgan, Ryan Bear, Travion Longmire. So there were some big names, but it wasn't – they weren't going all out on these summer visits. They, were, they would like to do most of their damage, I think, in the fall when you can actually have kids on campus for a game mm-hmm. and a game weekend. Um, but there's some key targets here. I mean, Anthony Brown, Kamari Burns – um, two kids from Ohio, two kids they've been cr- recruiting for a while um, that they should be in a pretty good place for. Avery Stewart is a kid from Montgomery, Alabama. Um, Nick, I mean, this is a he's boy, a big uh, near, he's who's near who top two hundred recruit, right? This is a guy like when you look at when you kind of separate four stars, right? You want to separate them from do they fall within NFL draft range, and then where do they fall after that? Um, and Avery Stewart's right there in that top, you know, there's 262 picks, I believe, in the draft. And he's right there firmly mm-hmm. in there at 209, I think he is, in the consensus right now. Could be a cornerback or safety. Um, Frank Buffano's kind of taken over, I think, this region for John Summerall. Um, and Kentucky, I think, has got a really good chance at this guy. Um, so that's this official's going to be big uh, with him. And then commit Shamar Porter, Ty Bryant locked in their officials for the summer. But both of those kids are going to be able to get to Lexington um, frequently in the fall, or should at least, because within driving range. Um, so they could probably, they're probably going to take multiple official or unofficials, I would assume, during the season. And then Kendra Gilbert's obviously another one that's a defensive line guy they really like. LSU's in on, on him hard. Um, Brian Kelly really likes him. Um, and then Jakeem Jackson is a kid I just talked to. He's going to be on campus in Kentucky in June, June 14th through the 16th, but it's going to be an unofficial. Um, but he's a, he's one of the fastest rising recruits here in the in the country right now, Nick. He was unranked like a month or two ago, um, and he's going to end up being a four-star prospect. Well, that's he, like he was, the, uh, the, the big tackle that Zach talked to that, I mean, he had two or three offers. Uh, Ola Blade, uh, it's one, one of the uh, – oh, I know who – he's from – yeah. Olo with TC maybe. Let me it's, pull up his name. It's it's a mouthful, but he yeah. he went. I think he had only a couple offers. Zach talks to him. So we're it's the KSR bump because um, I saw Ohio State just offered another. Olo with Tosin Babalati. Yeah, he just goes by um, Tosin. The DMV. The math the math Catholic. Right. Yeah, he's a freaking monster, uh, and, and that's one of those guys too. I, I just hope UK got in early enough for him because he became. Yeah, a big time guy. I think that one, that one's going to be a little tough. I think North Carolina's in good spot. Maryland's good spot. Um, I think Kentucky's probably got some ground to gain there. But yeah, he's going to blow up and be a big time prospect. Tangentially related, um, there was a kid from the DMV who camped as a freshman at Kentucky, and I was like, "Oh, this kid's going to be a star." Brad White's been a lot of time talking to him. He's like, "All right, I'm going to remember the name Keldrick Falk." Yeah. Well, yeah, he's. One of the, I mean, in the new stratosphere, I, I don't know who he's down to right now. But what's even crazier, he's got a kid brother too, who's going to be a sophomore, who's picking up all these offers now. Uh, they got the top top one hundred edge, yeah, um, from from Alabama. Um, our recruiting prediction machine's got it pretty close. I mean, Auburn, Florida State, Clemson, and Florida are the contenders right now. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know that early connection didn't help. Maybe it might help with the. 
Another guy from the DMV. I did get a little sad track though there. Like it didn't mean to intervene too much. Um, on just the guys visiting and whatnot. But we can get more into the weeds next week on that. Um, I want to get to your coaching carousel, but look at, quickly, tell me how bad my top 10 plays were. I actually thought you did a pretty stand-up job there, Nick. Yeah. I, did, I didn't have many issues uh, with with your top 10. As I'm pulling it up right now. It um the 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 part that was difficult is I mean you can make your own Wandale Robinson Lynn Bowden top ten mm-hmm. and so I can't you, you just don't want to do that you just don't want to base it off purely what's ESPN putting on the highlight reel if this play happened yesterday this is Wandale's run the screen against Florida like that was incredible yeah. so well, some of it needs some context you know you you titled it Wandale right but to me it was Will Levis like we saw him go through a two minute drive. We saw him layer a ball in um, the zone coverage. We saw him stand in the pocket, make some throws, pace adversity against a top 10 defense in college football. Like to me, when you're looking at the height for Levis and you're really building for next year, it's really two games. It's what he did against Georgia and what he did against Iowa. Like Maybe if you watch LSU, those, I mean, that was an awesome game as well. But yeah, yeah, but that was, I'm talking about just throwing LSU was really it was him easy. running the ball. <laughs> Right. And Kentucky yeah. ran for almost 400 yards that game. Uh, it was really Kentucky, I think, beating them at the line of scrimmage in the LSU game. But for for Levis, these were the games like he give – it's just different. He gives Kentucky more of a shot in games like this. They were never out of it with him. Even though he's taken all those sacks, he's standing in the pocket against Georgia. He's taking hits. He's not afraid. Um, and he keeps fighting. He keeps – you know, laying it on the line, and he makes plays. He made some plays for you in crunch time in this Iowa game. Um, now they were all to Wandell, obviously, but he still he still made the plays for you, made the throws, and that throw the Wandell catch at the end. I mean, that's one of Levis's best throws of the year, I think. the The question with him is, you know, accuracy. Can you hit it? That ball, like you have to throw it over. He had to throw it over the the little. The linebacker. Nickel, nickel safety defender, yeah. right, and hit Wandell in between that, that cornerback um, there on – I believe they're on towards the sideline. I yeah. mean, it's that was a really, Over really and good under. throw. Yeah. yeah. He put and, – and those were the throws, putting some air underneath it, a little touch on his passes. I mean, that that was – his problem was his, his – it wasn't his rocket arm. It was his yeah. touch. So, that I had think, a nice touch on it. Like, that Iowa defense was really, really good. And they make you earn it, and they went. Kentucky went and took, stole that game from them at the end because Levis made some big time throws. And so for that, I think that I, that's that play has a case to be number one because it could lead into a huge year mm-hmm. um, with a with a difference maker at quarterback, and we'll see how it shakes well, out. And then for for Wandell to break an air raid record while going 51 yeah. yards to and set up a 10 win season, you know, and and it's not that Kentucky fans would have. You just feel so much better about the season at ten and three than nine and four. You just do, especially whenever you start six and zero. Oh, you lose to Georgia; that's deflating. And you can, we've learned to excuse losing, excuse away losing down in Starkville, but then to have Tennessee on your home turf and you, you it makes you forget about those games, right? Right. It, it, and instead of thinking about the what ifs, you still reach that ten win plateau. So the significance of it uh, was. Incredible. And, and a lot of it, too, I think, is just the unbelievable factor is how I I didn't really say that. But that's 
that's how I rank a lot of these, just like the shock of how could this be done? Because, I mean, let's be real. Um, (laughs) Kentucky looked dead in the water there in the second half of that Iowa game. You know, defense made a stop. Just who they had on the field on defense, it was – I mean, it's true freshman at linebacker, you know, Martez Thrower's playing. So it, it, it was, um, and, and you, that's how a lot of those are the unbelievable factor. Josh Pascoe's block kick, uh, Lynn Bowden throwing a pass to, to win the Belk Bowl. What, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the CJ Conrad walk off. I mean, so I, I tried to include as many honorable mentions as possible in there. Uh, one right before I posted that I, I almost forgot was the Joe Mansour, uh, trick play touchdown against Florida. That was pretty fun uh, back in, in 2013. But there were uh, – I, 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 I Maybe the highlight of the 2013 season. And really, I, that and then Stoops losing his mind on Thursday night in Starkville whenever the yeah. refs called offsides. Uh, that, yeah. Those are my memories of 2013. There ain't a whole lot to, to like about that season. But uh, it uh, – all in all, I think we, we, we touched the right high notes. Yeah, and then I think number two is – fair too nick because 2018 obviously louisville was the whole team just quit right yeah but 2019 they were having this this quiet resurgent year with satterfield they were coaches of the year. Offense. their fan base thought they were going to maybe come in and win this game and like it was going to be like well kentucky got us once but now that we're out we're back and kentucky just bludgeoned them <laughs> that game and it kind of set the tone for this snoop satterfield robbery um because you didn't get to see him play in 2020, but then like the same thing happens in 21, and now yeah. it's kind of like a mental thing, I think, with Louisville and Kentucky. Yeah. Um, so well, that 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 really started that. I think this new like do, uh, flex your muscle SEC over ACC dominance that Kentucky fans are loving to dangle in front of Louisville fans right now. And, and they had played him to a draw for a half. You know, he had a blown coverage on a long pass to Tutu Atwell, and there was this kind of all right, this Lynn Bowden thing has worked. But maybe you throw in Sawyer Smith, who's healthy, quote unquote, now for just a series to give him some regular, you know, something because something wasn't really working. And then Limbo was just like, no, nah, I got this. And and that I think that is exemplifies his 2019 season well, just because it was a total, I got this. Let me put the team on my well, back. When he goes on that run, that was the run. The whole press box is just like laughing huh? almost. Just like this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, like man. video game type stuff. I will say though, I I admittedly did ha- still have some second thoughts if Bowden would always work or not. Um, even to that point. And then then in the Belk Bowl, I went down early to watch it from the sidelines. I was like, I want to watch Bowden's comeback. He's going to do this. <laughs> I had that much yeah. con- There was no doubt in my mind he's losing that, was, that football game. That doing that had negative implications on the program, right? But that little five-game run, I think, was maybe the most fun <laughs> Kentucky football run. People were just thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, it, and it, even and though it only, was- I mean, the loss of Tennessee – was you know that was the one but if they would have won that i mean that would have been yeah it was just been, i mean it Limbo, like 2014 if, basketball run where you just don't he, expect it and if he does that if they go to that two weeks before lim bolden's in new york for the heisman ceremony i mean he would got legitimate heisman buzz at the end of the year the thing too about 
like like you said, it, it did do some long-term damage, but it was a double-edged sword. If you don't do that, and the season is just if it's a two-win season, that that is a lot more harm. And yeah, but it also it also did more good than bad because I think from a culture standpoint, a locker room standpoint, it it tied like the players, like we just win here. It doesn't matter what yeah, we have to do. Yeah. We're gonna win games. Like Lynn said, we're, we're we're winners in his locker room, not losers that year. <laughs> I mean, that was really – I mean, he kind of wrapped it up there. They, they're going to figure it out, and they're going to win games. And I think that's gave, given them a lot of confidence heading in these next few years. And really in the 2020, how it went bad for them, they still – like that 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 could have ratted them a little bit, and it didn't. They came back in 2021. They they figured it out, and now they're heading into, heading into a 2022 season where they get a chance to really do some big things. So I think – Obviously, there were some recruiting implications, but overall, I think that was that was really good. I think the fans thoroughly enjoyed it. I oh, think yeah. that was a very fun experience there at the end. And then I think for it helped build their kind of their winning culture there too, because it just now they're ingrained like we just went here, we figured it out. Yeah. It doesn't matter what happens to us. Oh man, fun times. That still is. That's going to be one of those things. Uh, my best description is you know. When you're you got grandkids, you're gonna be telling them about Lynn Bowden there, but like, granddad, that did not happen. And uh, yeah, no, I saw it with my own two eyes. Receiver uh-huh. went to quarterback and ran for 300 yards on the Louisville. <laughs> and two more, you got two big Florida moments here. The Josh Allen, obviously sealing the game, and then Josh Pascal, uh, the kick six. That was probably one of the biggest pops that stadium yeah. has had. In and, a while, I couldn't remember. Maybe all seven since Steven Johnson caught the touchdown. That's probably the biggest pop that stadium has and, had since then. Yeah, and you know what? And I, 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 I could argue that it was even louder, too. I mean, just from a pure because I, I mean, it was surprise, like shock, like oh yeah, my god, yeah. this is happening. And and like to add to it, you know, in 07, there was some confidence that Kentucky could get that done, could get that win, that there was enough time. You didn't think – the quarterback you believed be- in. Right, right. right. In offense, but, yeah. But in this one, the biggest – the big, this, the biggest problem Stoops had was just winning sold-out games. He hadn't done it. He hadn't yeah, I mean, that was – we were talking about it. If you go back and listen to our podcast, that was a big thing. I had the numbers pulled up, whatever it was. Now it doesn't matter because they won two last year, but they – both, yep. both um, winning and performing to expectation according to the spreads too. I mean, they came up short of expectations of these games, and and to do it with because Kentucky played Florida pretty well, but you felt like the momentum was kind of going the other direction, and that just yeah, waka flocka on the field at the start yeah. of the game. I mean, and then it's kind of getting a wall, and then bam. Well. It, and then some of the weird stuff happens too. Like it's the same score at halftime of 2018. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you got Josh Pascoe playing out of his mind, like Josh Allen. You get a block kick and return for a touchdown, like the '97 Alabama win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got Pascoe playing out of his mind, like Allen kind of dominated that game. It was some weird, weird similarities there with how how it all shook out. Um, but I think it was all just a mm-hmm. like that for Kentucky fans. It's always like this happens to. They do that to us and was yeah. like turning the tables. We do we doing it to them. Like they can't score in the red zone. Uh, they we block a field goal, return it for a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that might. So here's my question to you, Bucket. 
it ended with a field rushing, a pretty epic field rushing at that. Looked great. Uh, is it the last one? We'll see. I don't want to say forever, but what could be the next time, the next field rush? Is there another field rush? You because are. you've reached a point now, you know, you aren't just, this isn't, expectations have risen. Yes, there's another field rush, I think, left. And everybody knows the game. Um, Nick, if the season shakes out uh, like we think it might, or even if it comes close to that, you look at November 19th, the games, there's a very, very strong t- chance. Kirk Herbstreet, the Bear, Lee Corso, Reese Davis, Desmond Howard and his 18 coats, David Pollock, skinny David Pollock are coming to Lexington that weekend. I'm going to write about this this weekend, mm. but the, the slate is a little thin. It's the FCS weekend traditional. Yeah, it's SoCon yeah. Saturday in the SEC. Yep. Like there's a very strong chance college game day is making his return to Lexington. Football weather. Uh, that's like, that should be the, is that's around the champions classic. So I'm not sure if there'll be a Friday night basketball game, but I mean, that's lining up. That's going to happen. Like if Kentucky has a good season, that's going to, that's going to be the game day game. Man. Who? It's going to be fun. And I was thought like I was talking to my little brother, Alec, uh, the other day. He's thinking about going to the game. I was like, well, you need to go ahead and like get a ticket now. Um, you need to buy it. And getting into that, Nick, like now that the, the fan base is buzzing, building for this game, that's how you keep Georgia fans out, right? Yeah. Buy the tickets early. That's why I'm interested to see the season ticket sales. I they they put mini packs on sale, Nick. But I didn't notice Georgia Georgia's not <laughs> no. wasn't one of those, the Georgia no. game. So I, uh, that's pro- that's probably going to be a you know it's going to be their premium game, mm-hmm. but I would you might even be able to buy it or if you buy some early, you know it could be a good and in, in return on investment and opportunity yeah. for you down the road if you're into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I uh, I I would suggest it. Um, also, I have a bookmark to to ask next week once everybody gets back an update on the season ticket sales number. So hopefully we'll have that next week. We're going to get game times as soon as we get off here. And that's kind of why we need to get moving um, because I have a feeling that'll come out within the next hour or so. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Uh, Question for you. We never got to our coaching carousel bit. Do we want to keep doing that? Do we we want to lay some grades out for for our coaching carousel? Yeah, we could just touch on it right quick because it's been a while. But um, I just want to touch on a few things here, Nick. There was 29 hires. That's a lot of hires. Right, and you had big time programs involved: Notre Dame, LSU, USC, Oklahoma. Twenty nine of one thirty one, which, by the way, one thirty it used to be one twenty six pretty recently. So we got a lot of schools moving on up. Mm-hmm. And so, Man, and then when you saw some of these G five schools, Nick, a lot of retreads. Like Joe Moorhead's obviously a popular one at Akron. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty high on that. Like I think he should be able to coach like circles around some guys in that mm-hmm. league. Right. Get some players in there. We could see him up for a a job soon. I think it would be wise for him to probably stay in the big t- like Big Ten region. Look there, like he had Jim Moore Jr. returning. Clay Helton's going to Georgia Southern. 
Like there's some there's some crazy ones out there. And you had seven really retread hires. So former like power five coaches taking G five jobs. Um, so seeing how that works, like if that's an if that's a winning blueprint or not, to see if that sticks. And then didn't, I just wanted, uh, didn't work with Butch Jones last year. That that uh whew. year one did not go well for Mr. No, Butch. No, not well. Um, so really I just want to talk about the five guys I really like or the hires I like. So let's get the big ones out of the way. Like Lincoln Riley is gonna just call a spade a spade. He's gonna make USC a national championship contender. Good. He just says they're gonna make play multiple playoffs. What's let's make West Coast football matter again. Mm-hmm. And then okay, Miami. Mario Cristobal, he's – they have money now all of a sudden because the, their hospital is going to give them a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And now they got boosters coming out of the woodwork for Mar- uh, this famous alum. He uh, he, he just, swung and missed on a lot of coordinators early, but then ended up hitting a home run by getting Josh Gaddis. Yeah, I'm not the biggest on Josh Gaddis, but that was – he's had success. Yeah. Um, but – he hired Kevin Steele, a defensive coordinator. That's an awesome hire, I think, um, who was at Auburn, who swindled money out of Tennessee Dude, last year. He, he had just been just collecting checks by doing nothing. What a what a con man. I love it. What I mean, a bit like what a business they're in. <laughs> Kevin Steele got paid $1.2 million to live at his lake house last year. Incredible. And then let's so those like those are gonna have big impacts. Like Mario Cristobal, Nick just hired Alonzo Highsmith. Who was with the Packers and the Browns organization is like the number two or number three in the front office as a GM. Oh, right. So he he hired him. He's a famous alum. If you watched any of the U documentaries, Alonzo Highsmith is one of the big characters in that. And so he's going to come down there, and you're seeing like this transition. Like we've seen Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt obviously hired Barton Simmons. He's mm-hmm. got this recruiting background. You're seeing like these personnel departments really beef up. Billy Napier obviously hired a trillion people. Like in specifically, not just necessarily analyst roles, like specifically recruiting driven talent evaluation guys, um, player personnel. I think that's the big next step. And Miami's doing that with Highsmith. I'm interested to see how that works. Um, they're going to recruit really well. I think you look at them right now. If I had to bet on one, a recruiting staff, they're in the big three schools in Florida. I'm taking Crystal Ball over Napier and Mike Norville. And so I think that's going to like, we'll see how, what the ceiling is, but I think and, they're going to get back to being consistently good. I and that's imagine. what Crystal Ball, I mean. They're going to be good on line a, of scrimmage with him. And that's it, been like their biggest issue. Yeah. So yeah. If, you're do, if you're good on line of scrimmage in the ACC, that, that's a good spot to be in. Yeah. And then I'll, the three coaches I really like, that maybe off the radar for people. Texas Tech hired Joey McGuire. He was a long time. High school coach in Texas, won multiple state championships for high school in Dallas, was at Baylor these last couple of years with both Matt Rule and Dave Aranda. He's going to Texas Tech. They've are, you've you've seen the instant recruiting bump. They've already got 20 commitments for this class of 2023, Nick. This is but this is what should happen with a new coaching staff. You should in that second class, that first full class, you should really get the momentum. Hit it hard. And so he's hitting that checkpoint. And then if you look at the average star rating, it's a big bump from what Texas Tech has usually been at. Then he hired Zach Kitley, who was at who was at Western this past year, said all those passing numbers. He's gonna be their offense yeah. coordinator. Yeah. He's off the Kingsbury tree, went the, to Texas Tech. The that former Houston Baptist. He was with Bailey Zappi. Yeah. So I like what he's doing there. I'm pretty happy. Uh, does, doesn't hire. this hire fit 
their basketball hire. Isn't he kind of like Mark Adams, basically? This, yeah, I mean, it's not a terrible comparison. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think that's crazy. Where it's kind of under the radar, and you don't know how, but uh, hits the, the knows the culture there well. Long time coach. It, feel, it feels pretty similar. Yeah, and like he's like he's bolstered the personnel department, player personnel department. Like I've just talked about. I think there's just a lot to like there in a shifting Big Twelve. There and then, like using that Baylor blueprint, um, they're doing something right with the kind of guys they're recruiting and targeting. They just had a big draft. They've obviously won big here recently, so something good mm-hmm. um, is down there in the water in Waco. And so he's going to try to bring that recipe over to Lubbock. So I like that hire out of Washington. Kalen DeBoer, Nick, Washington. Hmm, interesting. He was Indiana's offensive coordinator when Penix had that really good season. When we thought Kentucky was going to play Indiana in the Gator Bowl. So he goes – he was Fresno State's head coach last year. They put up big offensive numbers. Before then, he was an F – or a D2 head coach. They went like 66-4, and four, something ridiculous. Like, he's won everywhere he's been. He's a good play caller. Um, I think he had – he, as much as anybody, had most to do with Indiana's success or a lot to do with it. Did, did he bring Jake Hayner with him too, back to Washington? There was the rumor, but it ended up not happening. He went Hayner back. staying at Fresno. Okay, okay. Because um, Fresno brought back Jeff Tedford. But he brought he's bringing Penix with him from Indiana Ooh. to Washington. Well, the big Penix. Um, and so, obviously, Washington failed miserably last year, but I like DeBoer. I don't know how well he's going to recruit, but I think his offense is going to be good. I like that that hire for Washington. Um, and then another one I'm going to get to, um, it's Brent Pry, Penn State defensive coordinator, goes to Virginia Tech, was a GA for Virginia Tech under Frank Beamer. I just like the staff he's put together. I think he's going to target the right guys because I think the biggest thing that went wrong for Fuente was um, not the recruiting. So they're going to recruit Especially Virginia. in state. Yeah. 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 No, they're the, going to make the that Newport news decisions. area. Yeah. That's, now, I don't, there's a lot of dudes down there and they just, I mean, Tavian Robinson's at Kentucky, <laughs> you know, like his offensive coordinator hire uh, is a young guy, Tyler Bowen, who was a GA under Moorhead for a long time who people think might be like the next kind of more head. He wouldn't work for the NFL one season last year. He's back in college. He's pretty young, but he tag teamed him with a guy who with offensive coordinator experience, a guy who was at Georgia state last year. So he's given him some help there. And then he went out and got a young defensive coordinator as kind of a recruiter. Now I don't price said He's going to call the defensive plays. That's not going to work. So I don't love that. Um, but other than that, I think he checks a lot of right boxes for Virginia tech. Now they're going to be bad this year, Nick, and it's going to mm-hmm. take him a little bit. Um, but that's a guy I would – I could see working circle. out. Circle. 65th and, in CBS's Power 5 coach ranking. So and an interesting, thing here, Nick, an interesting thing here, Nick Wright. Like, he was hired the same year Tony Elliott at Virginia. Ooh. Only one of those guys is probably going to work. Yeah. You would, you would think. And I'm willing to bet on Pry over Tony Elliott. Um, I'm not sure – like, that offense last year with Clemson was pretty bad. You know, he had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, but you got to give him credit for recruiting those guys, but he's not going to get that caliber of player at Virginia. So how really good is he? I'm interested to see. His staff was a little I didn't really love. Virginia is kind of – it's hard to get players there. So I would take Pry over him. So that's part of the reason I'm probably a little more in on him. Hmm. And then guys that are – I'll throw this out there. Oklahoma's had two legendary coaching hires in a row with Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley. 
Hard to do it three times in a row. Hard to do it three times in a row. <laughs> so the the math tells you there that Brent Venables is going to come up short of expectations. Um, so I'm interested to see how that works out w- with him. Who, who's his coordinator? His offensive coordinator? He hired um, what's it, the guy from Ole Miss, Art Browse. Oh, Webby, Webby. Jeff Levy. I just I, I saw so many ranking quarterbacks. They had like Dylan Gabriel fifth or something. Mm-hmm. Really? We think Gabriel's that good because he could do that at UCF. Uh, That's just. Know. They're coming in the SEC. I'm interested to see how, like, Venables recruits this cycle um, to see where they're going to be at talent-wise with him. But that's one, man. It's just three in a row. That's just tough. And then, obviously, Brian Kelly for the obvious reasons. Um, like for the, the family. Weird. And then Marcus Freeman's going to raise. He's already raised Notre Dame's recruiting ceiling, so that's intriguing. Yeah, yeah. They, they've been recruiting gonna, like game busters. But you got he's still young. He's only 34. We'll have to see how, like, the in-game coaching, how he kind of adjusts. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it he, – he has a, you know, growing pains through the first three years, but maybe they he levels Notre Dame up down the road. But I don't think it's going to be instant there. But he ha- mm-hmm. the recruiting is going to get better with him. And then Dan Lanning in Oregon is interesting, too, from the kind of that same aspect. He's going to have some growing pains as a head coach. But Oregon's betting on just um, players over pl- players over scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, so they landing, they want to continue like the crystal ball model. Let's kind of recruit at a top 10 level. That should be good enough where we can win Pac-12 titles. If you can win Pac-12 titles, right. you'll be able to get into the playoff. Yep. And then shout out Summerall. Um, I think he, like Joe Craddock was an interesting hire. Um, his offensive coordinator, he was at Arkansas with Chad Morris. That didn't go well, but he was kind of a rising star before then. So he brings him in as the play caller. I think that's got a chance to be interesting. Um, for Summerall, but the Sun Belt's gotten a lot tougher here with some of these new yeah, new additions. Yeah. It's not as easy as it was when Neil Brown was winning conference right. titles down there. That's low key going to be a really fun league to watch here over the next few seasons. That's why they call it the Fun Belt. That's why they call it the Fun Belt. Well, so that pretty that pretty much wraps it up. Um, I will say this about Billy Napier, Nick. He came with obviously a lot of buzz, but like they've taken some body blows early in his tenure. He missed out on some of his staffing hires. Recruiting is going – like, I'm not going to sit here and cry tears for Florida's recruiting operation. Like, they're still going to get top 15 classes, borderline top 10. Um, But they hired him to, like, go blow to blow with Georgia and Alabama, Texas A&M at the top, to recruit top five level. Um, And he's gotten some guys, and they're in on some guys, but they missed some key targets too. And so it's kind of looking like a thing where they're going to have to prove they can win on the field first before they start having that success. Um, and you look at their schedule, it could be a rough year. So that could get off to a rough start here for Florida and Napier. And does, mm. if you get into an early hole, how hard is that to dig out of? Dude. If you're if you're there with the Texas and Oklahoma coming over, just something to keep in mind. You'd hate to see it. You really, you really would. Uh, shout out to Luke Fortner recurring guest on the pod he's a millionaire now so beers on loot yep five million dollar four-year deal nice so, uh got i got luke set it up set up with some of my people down there in jacksonville should help, help hopefully hook him up there so we'll have a little connection down there Nick, there we go we hit the road heck yeah be a good time hope you all have a safe and happy memorial day weekend we appreciate y'all listening to 11 personnel friday market i'm nick roush go cats and go kroger